Hey everybody, welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 13, titled Avengers, Chips, and Digital Board Games. For today's topics, we cover a couple of the latest news items that are of interest, uh, plus we bring out the Gamer's Dozen once again, uh, covering some of the games that we've been playing in the past uh, couple days and week or so. Uh, we will once again mention our first contest. I'm really excited about that thing. And a whole bunch more. So my name is Rob, and I've got my good buddy and the second host with the most, because I'm the first one, uh, my buddy Jeff. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> so how you been, man? You, you've been uh, you know, cranking the games out left and right? Good. I, I, don't, I don't know that, I, that we have a dozen to talk about this week, but uh, I'll try. Maybe we should call it the Gamer's Dozen-ish. <laughs> the, or so. The, the dozen almost so. Gamer's Dozen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or throw in some Chicago. The Gamer's Couple Two Tree. Yeah. So you want to start off with uh, some sure, of the news items? Sure. Well, you know, first I was just going to mention, and one of the reasons I hadn't been playing as many games is because uh, with the nice weather and such, I actually have uh, been spending a little bit of time away from the table. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That's sacrilege. And so I, uh, I took my uh, three-year-old son to uh, to see the Avengers. Nice. Now uh, you're probably thinking I mean the movie, right? Avengers on Ice. <laughs> what kind of Avengers? <laughs> well, I don't think he's quite old enough for the movie, probably. But no, the uh, the Grumman TBF Avengers, the uh, the, the World what? War II torpedo bombers. Oh, okay. Is that an air show? Yeah, yeah. So over here, just locally in uh, in Bolingbrook, Illinois, at their at their little private field, they have a air show every year, and it keeps getting bigger and better. And uh, so this year, they had uh, all sorts of uh, World War II planes and some other stuff that they did a little air show with, and they let the kids sit in some of the planes, and uh, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Really, didn't start out that way though. Actually, uh, believe it or not, Obama was in town that day. Oh, was that a Friday? Uh, Saturday. Saturday? Yeah. Okay. And so they, uh, for whatever reason, I guess they have a total flight ban in effect. Yeah. And basically uh, all aircraft are grounded, or at least those types of aircraft. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, it's not like they have, I don't think the weaponry is operating, but <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> in, in any case, nothing was allowed to fly, so we had to kind of wait it out. And I was like, pretty long wait. Uh, it, Obama kept deciding to stay longer, you know, yeah. chatting and stuff. Uh, yeah, that that weekend, actually, just prior to that weekend, uh, he was down in downtown Chicago, and I happened to be just lucky enough to be working in the building next door to his campaign headquarters. So whenever he comes downtown, it is a huge deal. Everything gets blocked off, traffic gets interrupted. Yeah, and so that and that probably makes sense. So it must be that he was planning to leave, and around the window that he's planning to leave, yeah. nothing's allowed in the air. Yeah. So it's that, like a short time before and a short. Time yeah, before. it's just that the time apparently kept moving that morning, so the, all the all the in-flight activities were delayed and delayed. But but in any case, once uh, yeah. once you finally had left, they uh, they put all the planes in the air, and it was just uh, it was really neat because I've never I've been to other air shows and such, but I've never stood that close to running aircraft, flying aircraft. They did fl- you know, low, very, very low flybys at high speed, and they did yeah. some formation stuff. And, um, That's awesome. And that was, it was the first time my son had seen anything like that, so he was just in, in shock for two days. 
And then he wants you to buy him a plane. Yeah, that, then he kind of snapped out of it, and that was all he would talk about. And all, all yeah, he's toys and everything. Once put on his own little <laughs> air show, and the engines of those planes are just so loud, and you know, and the the propellers and such as they as they go by. Oh yeah. Um, it's, and it, and the Avenger is a huge, huge plane. It's got like a rear turret and everything. I mean, just this, uh, the folding wings when it's uh, you know parked. Yep. You know, they had the little wildcats, which look like little tiny toys next to these things. So <laughs> it was amazing even for me. I mean, I was, I was almost uh, moved by it. <laughs> Just the the epicness of them, you know, flying by me at, at such close distance and such. So it was, oh, like I was, it was like I was there, you know, standing on a on an aircraft carrier in World War II or something. I mean, it was just that that so, close and that many of them it's a really awesome experience does that mean you're going to start playing some uh, wings of glory <laughs> no i unfortunately yeah <laughs> i mentioned i i've just never been able to find a flight game these days that really holds my interest as much as i do like the aircraft and all of that yeah. so oh well yeah i'm i'm also like awestruck by planes you know big small new and old and i just love them even like flying oh that's i don't like flying so fun. much but <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, thought That's I'd mention awesome. that. It was a good time. Uh, has me itching to play some World War II stuff. So, what do you got? What, what kind of newsworthy stuffs then been uh, going on for you? Not a whole lot, just been getting some games out uh, uh, with the wife. She's normally not quite as adventurous with games, likes to play uh, kind of the same thing over and over and over, which can kind of ruin games quickly. Absolutely. And it it does. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Both for me and for her. Ever since that uh, Game Fest that we had a couple weeks back, uh, that we went to. I mean, it's been a pleasant surprise. She's actually been interested in, in trying new games and and so forth. So well, there there is know. that point where you know, I think I've seen this more with you know gaming spouses, but where they get over that hurdle where they realize that trying new games is fun and yeah, they're yeah. not as hard to learn as as they thought. And as they learn more, each one's easier than the one before it because of the Absolutely. ones they've learned and. That's also the way they discover games they like more than the one the other ones you're trying to get them to play, which maybe they thought were okay in comparison to some new one they like even more. So, oh, yeah. yeah, my wife's even as as little far along as I thought she had been, she's gotten even better to where she pretty much doesn't even challenge me now if I want to try a new game. She just says, "Well, all right, let's let's do it." It's like, honey, for you anything. <laughs> Is that what she says? No, <laughs> not quite. Well, you need to keep working on that then. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a new associate working with me <laughs> that uh, just started this week, and I found out today that he actually plays board games somewhat regularly. Really? So that was a great surprise. So I asked him, like, what do you play? And he yeah. goes, and he plays it. His games with his family tend to go several hours, and I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're you know our age and you're still having fun playing then I think you are prime for trying other games for sure. Because <laughs> by comparison, I think they, even the worst of them would be awesome. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we talked about that a couple of days ago, and I just, 
nonchalantly kind of mentioned, you know, that board game hobbyist. He kind of looked at me sideways like, huh? <laughs> and, you know, I just told him, you know, I, I tend to play hobbyist board games, which are, you know, games. And he's like, Hob- a hobby board. what? <laughs> and he's like, huh? So today I actually, because no, I normally carry maybe like two or three mm-hmm. portable games in my uh, backpack. Right. Like I've got uh, two copies of Carcassonne. I've got the big box and then I've got the original one that I had. So I usually keep Carcassonne in a Ziploc bag. Okay. And it's in my bag because it's nice and portable and it's interesting enough to show people, sure. easy to, to show. And then like uh, Colorado. You're, you're quite the gaming evangelist. Yes, I am. So I showed him Carcassonne today at the end of the day right before we were leaving. And he was kind of looking at me funny, but I know there's opportunity <laughs> where there's funny looks. And if somebody can, like you said, if they can handle for a couple hours, they can definitely have a fun time playing a game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, in six hours? Oh. Now, I did read, there was a book that was written on board game design recently. Yeah. And uh, a, quite a few like very famous board game designers had contributed, you know, a chapter each, I think. It was. Oh yeah. I heard about that one. Right. And yeah. one of, in one of the, actually, I think it was part of the sample chapters. They actually, one of them, and I forget which one it was, maybe it was the guy who did magic or it was, you know, one of the more famous ones actually pointed mm-hmm. out that people don't realize that there is one awesome thing about that uh, a lot of games today fail, even hobbyist games. And that is that when it's not your turn, there's something to do generally right you mean like go to the kitchen (laughs) no meaning you know like like people land on your stuff and you you know you have to give them money and you know that you're you're kind of involved in other people's turns and such and isn't there wow i jeez i haven't even played in like 20 years but don't you bid on properties and stuff and Depends on if you play it properly. Okay. Well, but in any case, you see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah. It's like there are reasons why some people really do like that's That's one of them. And one right. of the reasons why some people, as long as it does go, they, you know, they enjoyed for part of that. And then they might look at a hobbyist game where, you know, we're all kind of like staring down at our own little boards and you, you almost can ignore that other people are even playing oh, in, yeah. in, a, in a lot, in some games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. You know, there, there is a huge difference there, right? And it's, so not that there aren't better versions of games, you know, that have player interaction and bidding and things to do during other people's turns, but a lot of games fail to do that. And therefore, if you take somebody who was a fan and you start them on a, a game like that, there's a possibility that they don't see how that's any better than oh, what yeah. they had been playing. So, And I know a, a classic argument against is that early on in the game, you can get yourself in a position where there's no way that you can catch up and yeah, you suffer it, through the entire right. game. And the game is long and, in right. generally, you know, that, that it's, it's not an enjoyable experience then. Right. But you know, there's some hobbyist games out there that are kind of the same way where you can yeah. fall behind, you know, if you don't get your you know resource engine or your victory point engine or whatever, if it's not cranking, I, yeah, and you some, can be of in the same those, situation. some of those are generally, though, for more inexperienced players. Like, I think it would be harder for that to happen if you've, you know, played a bunch. And and most of the games that I know of that have that problem, it would tend to happen to first-time players. Which it is not really forgiving that problem, because I think part of hooking people into a game is, is making it somewhat enjoyable on the first player, too. 
uh, not making where they have to play 10 times before they're going to understand it and have any enjoyment from it. But mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So. so actually, I'm really ashamed that we were talking for a couple minutes about... Well, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention a couple couple things related to our show, actually. I, I've been looking at the numbers and such, and um, real pleased to say that our, our Feld show, where we'd gone through and ranked and rated 10 different Feld games, stuff in Feld games, really received a great response. And I'm oh yeah, real thrilled to see you know how, how great the numbers were for that. And uh, we've been getting some, uh, some different feedback and and such. So uh, another thing I noticed when I was out there looking at some of the blog sites, a site called GamerChris.com. I don't know if you know this one. Yeah, I have it on my uh, RSS reader. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's a, a pretty popular site. I enjoy it quite a bit. He's, you know, he posts a lot of stuff. I, I think he's pretty well known. But he had recently posted a summary of podcast, and it's a quite comprehensive summary I mean, there must be like 20 board game podcasts listed. And he kind of ranked them in a pretty much like four different categories. Like on the lowest level, I don't bother with these anymore. And then, the, well, these are kind of falling off my list. And then he has rising stars. And then he has the ones that he's you know committed to. And so we were mentioned. And I'm happy to say we were in the rising stars category. So, you know, category number two, right? Haven't been around quite long enough that he were in his like go-to list. But we do rank higher than, say, the Spiel for instance, in his opinion. Fantastic. Yeah, and what he says is he just says, hey, it's a, it's a show about two guys talking about games, but their level of knowledge and insight seems really great so far. So, yeah, why not? I'll put a link up on our website to it just so you can check out his, uh, you know, the website and the full list of uh, podcasts that he uh, talks about and what he thinks about different ones. But it's, uh, it's a link on uh, May 17th called On My iPod. <laughs> couple of interesting things just about game publishers and, and, and such, both of which are relatively recent announcements. The first announcement was that Hans M. Gluck has announced that uh, they're basically done with Rio Grande Games, and they'll be partnering with Z-Man Games instead. Wow, yeah. Which is, of course, owned by the Canadian company now, Philosophia. And uh, that's interesting because, you know, you also had kind of a Leia that had started to do some things on their own and... Uh, you know, I, don't, I wonder what's what's really left for Rio Grande Games. It kind of seems like they, you know, they don't update update their website much. You know, they they used to basically just publish other people's games, and now right. they're kind of stuck with just what they had, which was you know Dominion, Race for the Galaxy, and the sort of more closer to in-house titles. So, I wonder. You know, I, I suspect that we'll see Jay retire, really, and uh, and sell the the company. That's that's my suspicion. Wow. He is up there in age. I wonder if he's just tiring of it all. Well, you know, I don't know that it would, I would say, I, I mean, I don't know him personally, I, but I, my thought wasn't so much that he was tired of it all as, as much as, A, he is older, so he's tired in general <laughs> of perhaps the, the, the effort involved, right? I don't yeah, mean like yeah. tired of board gaming, but maybe he's just sort of tired of you know working. At some point you want to retire, right? And the the real point I wanted to get to is to say that, well, you know, when he started it, he was one of the only games in town. Now it yeah. seems like everybody's publishing and there's all these Kickstarter companies and 
you know, everybody's bringing in games from overseas and, you know, I, I just don't know that he may not see that there's quite the reward in it that there once was. Right. And, and likely this is, he's at a point where whatever the value of Rio Grande games is, it's probably at that pinnacle, right? Like it only has down to, to fall or maybe in my opinion, right. Is in terms of, you know, Dominion's a little tapped out, right. I mean, they've had, yeah. So many releases, even Race for the Galaxy, a little tapped out. Uh, you know, they've picked up like, some other lines, you know, like Arctic Scavengers and stuff. But I, I just don't know how many other things they really have a lot of room to still work with. So, yeah, there's the iOS angle, which is interesting. And that might be a good reason to, to look at purchasing them, depending on where rights falls with those types of things and what their catalog contains. But, yeah, if that's just where I feel it's going to go. I think we're going to see Rio Grande games get sold to someone uh, and Jay kind of just get out of things. Wow. And then, yeah, the other... I mean, he's been at it now for what, 17 years approximately. Yeah, quite I, a bit. I believe it was 98. Mm-hmm. That so sounds about somewhere 15, back in there. Yeah. 15, 14, 16 years. And you know, the other, other kind of interesting announcement was queen games saying that they're going to effective immediately essentially, or I think about, you know, the middle of this month, uh, which is as you're listening to this, that uh, brick-and-mortar stores are going to be receiving all of their new games two weeks before online stores do. Wow. So if you want a queen game, you're going to have to go to your friendly local gaming store to get it if you want it before anyone else. Now, you know, I've been noticing this for quite some time. Now, the... FLGS that I go to up on the north side of Chicago area, you know, I, I just go there and check stuff out. I almost always see stuff there prior to the big sites like Boards and Bits and yeah, you CSI know, I, and all. I wonder, you know, it used to be, say, like with Best Buy, like they get they get stuff all the time before it's supposed to be the street date. And the the difference is they're supposed to hold it back, right? They keep it in the back room, and then, you know, it's that Tuesday, they put it on the shelf. But in in the board game world, I I doubt that local stores really follow those rules so much. It kind of gets there when it gets there, right? And if the shipment got it there quicker, you know, they don't wait for whatever street date it was supposed to be. They just kind of move along the copies, so. Oh, yeah. And I also think, too, that the local stores don't get as many pre-orders. So a lot of the games that would come in, let's say the first shipment of something like, like recently uh, Infiltration came out Mm -hmm. from Donald X. So that thing, I mean, I don't think it's really been out much in the online stores. No, I ordered it, but just yesterday or, you know, it's, it's been online. Was it in stock? it, uh, It was at cool stuff, but not elsewhere. Okay. So the local store that I go to, they had it last Wednesday. Yeah, and I'm sure they, I mean, they got it before, uh, say, Boards and Bits. I, unless yeah. maybe, well, you know, board, it, they might have been allocated for their pre orders, though. So just because exactly. it doesn't show on Boards and Bits, maybe they got them, but they were all allocated. Yeah, I mean, they probably might have gotten 20 copies and had 50 pre orders. So, the, you know, you don't see it on the site until. They have extra stock, right? Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I, I pre-order now if there's a title I really, really want. And I'll just stock it. I'll stock the order full of some stuff that I kind of wanted but didn't really care when I got. And then it just shows up when it shows up. 
But man, pre-ordering is such a drag because if you get that one game that gets delayed, that whole shipment. That depends delayed. on where you order, though. So, for instance, and this is this is why I talk more highly about this site than I used to, mm-hmm. ThoughtHammer.com. Okay. Uh, they've done this to me twice. I put in a pre-order. You know, I think their free shipping is around a hundred dollars, somewhere give or take. And again, I, I, it's one game, and I, and then I stack it up with you know three others to, to make the free shipping. And then if I place another order later on, they ship me all of the games from that first order uh, along with the second one, cool. you know, that were already out. And then so then I'm just waiting on that one title. And and you got to wonder why more places don't do that because really it's al- probably almost cheaper sh- shipping because then they ship me one big box. And then they just ship me that one little game when it finally comes out, and they were going to have to ship me two big boxes, so it couldn't have, right? I mean, it seems like it's either going to be the same money to them, or they might actually save a little money. Right. But it makes me a whole lot happier, because now I'm oh, not yeah. waiting on games, and I still got free shipping on that pre-order. Now, I, I've tried that with other sites, and it doesn't happen. There was actually only two I knew of, and I forgot what the other one was, but Thoughthammer was one of them that I've done it multiple times with, and each time they've shipped me the extra games from the earlier order. Right. So I, I probably should order from them more because of that, or at least pre-order from them more. Now, the downside to it is I've had some stickiness with them fulfilling pre-orders as quickly as some of the other places. So, okay. Um, so it's a little bit of a trade-off, but, mm, you know, it, that is nice, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The other thing most places will do, like I know Cool Stuff will do this, is you can kind of call them and change around stuff, so... Like, if a title gets delayed, you can say, you know what, can you pull that game out of the order and just put this other one in or whatever, and then you order that other game with your new order, those types of things. Mm-hmm. I just wish, um, you know, I, I I talked with the guys at Cool Stuff years ago. I mean, I've, I've bought an insane amount of stuff from them, and they had shared with me a lot of ideas they have for reworking their board game ordering and pre-ordering. And again, I, I know they're having trouble implementing it because they're they're constantly hiring programmers. I, I don't know if they quit or what happens to their programmers, but but I know they did have some really interesting long-term plans that would exceed what anyone else is doing out there in the board game pre-order you know realm. So, did you see that video that was done of basically how they work, and it had you know, like a, a Q&A and like kind of a behind-the-scenes look. Yeah, didn't Tom Vassell do that? Yeah, they did. That, yeah. Yeah, uh, Dice Tower did it. I was disappointed. I was, I was really? It's. I just imagined it to be like a hundred times bigger than it was. <laughs> so it was... <laughs> like an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> and I was thinking more along the lines of, uh, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse, you know, something like that is what I envisioned. So. Did you ever see Warehouse 13? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It's it's somewhere in the Everglades, <laughs> this huge ginormous building. You have to take like a cable car to go from one end to another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like what is that? There's you know there's five shelves. I mean I've got I've got more shelves for my own personal game collection. I don't know. I guess they would just move a lot, right? That's the whole idea. Don't keep a lot of stuff sitting around. Just get it in, get it out. Yeah, you, uh, you know, and that's the way to do it because I've, I've done work at a lot of logistics companies and the ones that are really successful really don't store stuff right for well very this is long. this is what friendly local game stores don't understand right is you know it's been there five years mark it down 
you're gonna make you're gonna you're gonna move it and you're gonna make for a happy customer. So Oh yeah. And and sometimes when those stores do mark it down, they mark it down like four dollars. You know, it's it's you know it's a sixty dollar game, and now it's like you know fifty six. It's like yeah, this week this weekend only. <laughs> this weekend only, you know it. It's got uh, you know shelfware on you know every single <laughs> yeah, all six the, sides. The shrink is basically missing because it's it's been worn through so much. It, yeah, it's it's like tissue paper, two inches and, of dust. Yeah, it's and, faded. and and yeah, sun fade exactly. But it's four dollars off. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, sometimes those titles, when they're hard to find, you know, they are a treasure, you know, when you run across them in those oddball stores. Yeah, stores. until you look up what you could have bought it for online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever you find that title, that weird title, and you finally buy it, you're like, I didn't see this thing anywhere. Then you look online, and everybody's got it. All of a yeah. sudden, there's like 20 copies no. on sale for like... No, the, no, usually what'll happen is I'll buy that, and then I'll go on BGG, and I don't even have to look it up, because there it is on Tanga, on the little ad on the left, for, you know, $7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, $7 with like $15 shipping and they'll ship it out to you in Well, six that's months. true. But it, but it's still half of what I paid in the store in that case. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah, I might have to check out that hammer. The majority of my purchases are usually done through boards and bits. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, they have... get they get to us in like a day. Yeah. And uh, miniature market's also pretty good. It's like 2 days out of St. Louis. And both of those companies know how to pack their games uh, better yes. than any others. Uh, Miniature Market just stepped it up. Actually, they were wrapping my games in, in like a paper, like a, oh, wow. like a like a like you would go, you know, when you buy like a vase, you know how they wrap it. All my games are individually wrapped like that, and then put in with packing peanuts. Oh wow! Uh, on my last order, so I don't know. Maybe the word just got out that I don't like my stuff damage. <laughs> that's that's board game love right there. Yeah. So I, I you know it used to be the boards and bits pack the best. I almost want to say that miniature market does now. They've kind of re- refined stuff. So, and that's the problem I've had with cool stuff is because they are so far away. It's 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 usually like a week to get stuff to me, and because of the extra time on the trucks, it, it just stuff gets damaged a lot easier. And they're not the best at packing stuff. And then if I need it replaced, they, you know, they're really great about that. They've they've done some things for me that I, I probably can't say on the podcast because they're just no company should do that. But the problem is I get it. It takes a week. It's damaged. It takes a week to get me whatever they're doing for me. Yeah. Now that's two weeks where if boards and bits, had, you know, had dropped kicked it, I have my replacement in two days, right? From the mm-hmm. day I originally ordered, you know, one day to get the damaged one and one day to get the replacement. So it's right. uh, there's just a point where it doesn't really matter. Um, but but I still order from cool stuff a lot just because like this last time when I ordered Infiltration, nobody else had it, and I wanted to pick up the expansion for Kingdom Builder. Uh, everybody else was out of stock. They, yeah, they get more quantity, and I you know I added some other stuff. I I want to say like two or three things I, I got uh, nobody else even had. So that's the real reason I end up ordering so much from cool stuff. So. Uh, and and I do I have the five percent you know discount, which is kind of nice. I, I mean it, you know their prices sometimes are a little bit higher, but once you subtract five percent, you're either right in there or you're cheaper anyway. So right, every little bit helps. It does. That's yeah. for sure.
to what we've been playing. All right. So uh, I've had a bunch of titles hit the table last week or so. Uh, one that uh, you actually told me about uh, a couple weeks back. I don't remember if it was on the show or not. It was. It was Busy Town Airport. Yes. And I was actually surprised to see it because uh, my wife and son went out to the Barnes & Noble near the house here, and she came home with it. Oh, and, yeah? Yeah, I had told her about it Oh, okay. Got after it. after our talk. And she's like, yeah, you know, I got this busy town game with airplanes. And she's like, you know, it sounds kind of familiar. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, her son really liked it. And I'm like, it's a busy town game. Yeah. So, I mean, I was excited to try it. It's actually pretty fun. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's, you know, it's a game for little kids and big kids like us, I guess, where you have four um, airplanes. Uh, well, yeah, four airplanes and four different cardboard areas. That, islands. Islands, okay, that you place throughout the house or room, depending on how big you want the game to be. So there's a city, a mountain, a forest, and a... Beach. Beach, that was it. So you place these around and you put souvenirs. There's four souvenirs in each one. And then the box becomes an airport. You roll these dice through the... Uh, air traffic control tower, which is a dice tower. I mean, that was pretty clever. Yeah, really, really neat for a mass market game. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the other thing too is the box. I was noticing very high quality construction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very solid because it's, it's like part of the game, right? Oh yeah, and then I mean, you got to you got to mention again the best part about the game, the the little people. Yeah, there's uh, so you get four airplanes that as- you assemble. There's like a, a bottom wing part which is uh both wings together and then the body the fuselage of the plane just fits uh into this little plastic holder on top so you have four little airplanes and the game basically is is you roll the dice it tells you how many people you can transport to how many destinations and you pick people out of these little holders that are within the box and you put them in your airplane so they slide in it's some uh you know thick cardstock See them through the windows and everything. Yeah, that's cute. You know, so you can fit them there. And uh, my son and I, we have a really good time. You know, we make the airplane noises. Mm-hmm. You know, we fly the planes around. My wife looks at us like we're kind of silly. <laughs> Although, and, and then there's even a space in the back for luggage, the souvenirs, you know, for the cargo area. Yep, that's right. And and what's kind of funny is, I mean, my son's four right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got me doing like a sh- like little jet noises, you know, going <laughs> everywhere. And then my son, he, he's, he makes this noise. It's like, it's like a clicking, like, like, as he's, you know, flying his plane around. And I'm thinking to myself, I never want to be on a plane that ever sounds like that. <laughs> ever. <laughs> or yeah. any kind of vehicle. <laughs> No bus, no train. I don't want any mode of transportation to sound like that because that can't be a good thing. Right. But but he loves the game. He I told you loves it. So that was a great recommendation, and it was a pleasant surprise uh, to see it at home. Yeah, and I mean it has actually a familiar theme, right? The Richard Scarry theme. So I mean it would probably be yeah. cool even if it didn't have that. But now you put the two together, and I think it's a very creative thing to do with uh, what otherwise could have been a very lazy game. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it was it was definitely a pleasant surprise. And what was funny was, so we're like the first time we were playing it, I'm looking on the box. I'm like, where's this made? Is this thing made in Germany? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, it's not. So uh, got you know, 
too many games of that in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know if that's possible. We got a whole bunch of games. Of I, I did hide my that. copy because my son didn't want to play anything else for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's might have to do that. You know, at least have it do a little disappearance for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know that works with any kids' toys, right? You just... Oh yeah hide them for a little while and then it's like a new toy again when they get it again absolutely and it's a new toy for daddy too yeah so then uh we've also played a couple of games of a zularetto uh werfelspiel yes zularetto dice fun game uh very fun game also played some games of it online and uh, it's a game that plays surprisingly well in bed. So my wife uh, decides, like, yeah, let's let's lay down in the bed and play. And I'm usually uh, I feel a, like with a little a, dice tray or something. Yeah, we had a dice mm-hmm. tray, and I'm not a big fan because I can't get comfortable. You know, it's like I I can't sit on you a know, bed. I finally got uh, the. Um... I, I was just real because uh, they give you a pad of, of sheets in the game yeah. and I don't want them to run out and I figured well if I keep Xeroxing them I'm just going to eat up a bunch of ink anyway so I went out and bought these fine point dry erase markers Yeah. and uh, also an eraser and then some laminating sheets so I can laminate some of them and the whole thing cost me a lot more than I thought it would but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I figure I'll be able to use it for other games. I, I was going to put everything in the box, but then the box is a little. I think the pens are longer than the box anyway. So yeah. Did, did you use a hot laminator for that? Or yeah, I have a. I have one. That it was actually free. Uh, you know, I read about it on BGG. Somebody had posted it. The Scott laminator. It was maybe it was like nine bucks or something after a rebate. Uh, but but then you know the the sheets are like fifty cents a piece for the three millimeter ones. So it's not mm-hmm. real inexpensive uh, you know if you've got you know six player aids or something you know that's still three dollars and so I, i'm usually one for spending a lot on games like that you know i mean so you got you you laminate some things you know you print out some stuff on on cardstock uh full color right you sleeve some stuff you get the plain old box i mean you can you can end up spending quite a bit just on one game just to kind of you know protect it but, you know, sometimes that's part of the fun of the game almost, you know, like, you know, you want your game to last a long time and you want it to be just perfect. Yeah, I don't mind it. I just I usually wait now until I've made a decision on whether I'm keeping a game. So I'll play it yeah. one or two times before I go and do that. Not not so much with the planos because I can, of course, I can rip that out and keep it. But, you know, with the with the card sleeves, I don't like unsleeving anymore. So then if I sell the game, it's I just sell it with the sleeves and I buy all the premium ones. So, you know, those those can get kind of pricey. Um, right. The the FFG ones, although the prices have come down from where they were originally. But oh, yeah, I, I had stocked up, unfortunately. So I, I didn't I didn't quite get to save. <laughs> Oops. Oh yeah. The, the, in the early days, they were running out though of, of certain ones. Uh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I had bought extras. So yeah, I've probably got half a dozen of each size, all in a little plastic shoebox, just waiting yep. to be used. Yeah. So uh, we've played uh, a bit of Zularetto dice as well. Yeah. And uh, I have I have uh, uh, you know 
played a, the physical copy, but then I was playing online as well. And I've actually done worse online than I had been doing. But part of that's because I've been trying some other things that haven't worked out as well as right. the way I had been playing. So I, I guess I'm at a point where I <laughs> I should stick with the kind of strategy I have that was working <laughs> for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's surpri- it's surprisingly a fun game, and it's it's very thinky because you yeah. sit there and you're like like even when we were playing the physical copy, I found myself like looking at the dice. Then I look at my wife's little sheet and she's like, stop looking at my board. <laughs> then yeah, I look the, at mine. Then I look at hers. I, d- I had an online play where I, I really did have, and this happens with most of these games, right? Eventually you have a game where it just was really bad luck. And, and so that was the the one I had where, you know, maybe you, you can't fit any more alligators and uh, you know, there's four of them that are rolled, so they're on every truck, right? Yeah. And your opponent is immune to excess ones, so right. you know. And then, and then the next turn, like the same thing happens, and you're, you're like, "Come on," you know, with with a different Ooh. animal. Then there's that gamble sometimes where if if you take that last animal because you're ahead, like say you're ahead two points, and you take the last animal, which basically gives your opponent just one last turn, right? And you're kind of banking, okay, I'm ahead two points. What's the chance they're get, he's going to roll like two lions that he needs and then get the two bonus points? And, you know, and of course he did. So yeah. he rolled the two lions you know, out of like four remaining dice. or Yeah, because I had grabbed from the first two. It was a two-player. So out of four dice, you know, it should, the chances of rolling two, I, I don't know what the I mean, the odds are obviously one in six for one, but it, it, it seemed like the right choice. But yeah, so... Um, you know, and I, th- I think on top of that, he, he rolled like a money... And then that like canceled out a negative he had, so he ended up winning by like five points where I was ahead too. <laughs> so, as uh, it does happen, but you know, as as I said in my full reviews, sort of last show, and again, that's the exception with these kind of games. I think oh, yeah. uh, generally, I feel like I understand why I lost, or you know, some the my opponent played better, or uh, that kind of thing. So, still very much like the game. Uh, my opinion oh, yeah. hasn't changed on it. So. Good stuff, definitely. Then I also had uh, one game of Carcassonne. It's uh, it's a game that I don't play all too often anymore, but it's kind of at the point of when I do, I enjoy it. Yeah, burn like your copy, put... burn your copy, and go buy the big box. Yeah, I've got the big box. Oh, good, good. Sorry, then I take it yeah. back. Yeah, because yeah, I had the I had the uh, the standalone the original yeah, game. The base games just doesn't have enough really to keep it interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I actually don't need everything in the big box. One or two of the expansions would be enough. You know, maybe plus the river, but uh, and there's some I don't really care for, like the princess and the dragon. But yeah, I think I mean if people haven't liked the base game, it, it may just be that you need to acquire at least one expansion for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I carry the. The base game in my work backpack, and you know, just in case, mm-hmm. just want to throw it down somewhere and then play some Carcassonne and get fired because <laughs> it's <laughs> on the CEO's desk. No, Oops. so and, and uh, you know, I got the big box which sits comfortably on the shelf at home. But uh, you know, it's a game that is enjoyable enough that you know you can get your fix and then be good for a while. Then you bring it out again and it's fun and you know repeat my wife plays it every night on the ipad oh yeah it's yeah i've I got like that it. version it's it's this is a topic that i want to cover 
in a little bit here. Okay. So, we'll so moving on then, what other? So Ra, Ra the dice game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a fun little game. Uh, my wife and I played that over the weekend, and it's. Did you ever play that, Jeff? Don't think so. No, I've played Raw, the board game, but not the dice version. Yeah, it's uh, a light version of Raw, as I guess you would expect. Uh, basically, you've got um, dice and uh, a Yahtzee style mechanic. And. You have several tracks that you want to advance on. There's a Nile and a Pharaoh track. And, you know, being a Kinesia game, uh, like it is, there's all sorts of funky scoring, you know, and funky moves. You know, you score, you know, the person that's ahead moves back. The person that's behind moves forward. (laughs) You know, you get punished for not getting enough of stuff, you know, and so forth. But uh, it's a fun game. I do have a slight bit of colorblindness problem with the game, but when it's it's kind of like the lights, the street lights. <laughs> if yeah. you have problems with the red and green, uh, it's okay because you know their position. Gotcha. <laughs> so once you learn the positions of, of the colors, it's okay. Just because some are, are funky because there's uh, a purple, uh, was it purple, yellow, green, red, and. There's another color. There's five of them. And two of them are kind of close. And again, depending on lighting, the, if you're colorblind, the lighting can you know make or break two of these colors. But like I said, as long as you know where they're at, you're, you're fine. It, it's a fun little game. Uh, surprisingly quick. Uh, you can probably easily get a game in in about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, actually... You can probably do a round within five minutes on average, and then there's three rounds to the game. So yeah, about 15 minutes total. Uh, fun little game. We played a couple. Uh, played that a couple times. Again, Manhattan Project. You know that's kind of been a game that we've been talking regularly about the past couple weeks. Still a great game. Looking forward actually to seeing if they're going to do anything more with that in terms of expansions beyond nations. And then also played another game of Jaipur. Jaipur, Jaipur, that's that card game with the camels is, uh, is probably the most notable thing about it. Still fun, nice little filler game. You know, get a copy, get a game cranked out in just a couple of minutes. A lot of fun. Almost tried uh, to bring out Sobek, which is a similar game, also from Gameworks. Sobek has got a little bit of a different mechanic. It's also in Yucata. Mm-hmm. That's also a fun game, too. So that's pretty much uh, the most notable games that I've played. Well, I got to know a recent play of Lords of Waterdeep with five players. Wow. Which is uh, the maximum there. So that's always an interesting way to play the game. Uh, it was with uh, some newer board gamers, or uh, more specifically, some miniature gamers that were uh, dabbling in board games, and it's, it seemed like everyone did enjoy it. So that was that was neat. Uh, I also kind of reminded me that both Lords of Waterdeep and Manhattan Project kind of do have a different feel when you play with more versus less, but in such a way that it almost makes for like two different experiences. Neither one which is better than the other. And that's what I kind of like. So mm-hmm. I talked about in Manhattan Project because, you know, really what it is in Manhattan Project is you play to a much higher total with two players. Right. And that just sort of changes the game. 
And of course, then with more players, you have espionage and, and bombing and stuff that maybe comes up a little more often. So in Lords of Waterdeep, well, the, you, you have less agents. So, you know, you only have two agents in a five player game and then it goes to three, you know, when you get to the later turns. Right. Uh, but that really changes how much you can do. And so you don't, you know, have quite as many actions that you take. You know, the buildings are, are spread out amongst other players who so are really looking at, you know, the, the bonuses are coming up more often and there's more ability to, uh, like I had a quest, a plot quest that let me play on one that already had been played and, you know, things like that. Um, it was just kind of neat to um, to play that again with more players and, and see how that differed. So, Now, how is it when you're waiting for your turn? I mean, are you just sitting well, there, like, bored out of your mind? Or? No, I, I don't think so because it, actually they were even commenting, wow, this really goes fast because it doesn't take that long really to just play a single worker. You know, and, it, and then it continues around. The difference with Manhattan Project is, of course, you're playing like your whole set of workers before the turn passes, right? So it could seem like it's taking longer depending on who else you're playing with. But with Lords of Waterdeep, because you just place one guy and grab a cube, yeah, they, it didn't really seem like much downtime at all, even with five. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, the game was over pretty quick. I mean, it's a, it's a quick game, uh, you know, fairly And light, it's fun. But... It's a fun game. Yeah. That's important. Well, I like it. I'm I, I'm really looking forward to the idea of an expansion for that one, though. Too. I I would I would be okay with this one if it never had one. There are a couple games that I've hung on to in the hopes of an expansion that I might not be okay with if they didn't make an expansion. For instance, you know, Battleship Galaxies is probably like the premier example that that a lot of people use for that. But uh, yeah, Lords of Waterdeep. I just again, I, I just would like the idea of more theme being added and maybe some kind of advanced quests or cubes or, or that type of thing. Just, just add like a little bit of an extra layer. Cause for me, for me, I could handle more rules in the game and a little more um, complexity to it. So uh, I don't, I don't think it would be one of those where the expansion kind of takes it outside of the realm of the original audience type of thing. So, but that was Lords of Waterdeep. <laughs> Another game I've been playing uh, a bit of, and I've, I played uh, the physical copy, and then I've, I've also played online. I'm pretty much one of the games that I'm always playing online is a game called Balloon Cup, which is a uh, Rio Grande game in the the Cosmos two-player series. Okay. And it's I I really like this game. I mean, <laughs> I would I have to think about my rating on this one, but it's certainly it's certainly the highest Cosmos two-player uh, game for me rating wise. I mean, I, you know, right. somewhere towards a perfect ten, probably not really. Yeah, probably not quite that high. Maybe like a nine point five, nine point two five, only because again, because you are drawing some cards and you're drawing cubes out of the bag and stuff. That you can have it with an extreme situation where it feels like luck didn't go your way. But more oh, so gosh. than any of the other games, though. Now, this is a game, and, and of course, the, the person I played this with, it was their second time playing and their first time in a long, long time. And okay. it, it is in that category of games like Dragonheart and Kahuna and, you know, Can't Stop Even. See, I would think that if somebody likes Kahuna, 
they would definitely like Balloon Cup. I mean, it, to me, I think those two games go hand well, in hand. Well, sure, but where where I was going with it is these are the types of games that on the first play, one of two things is going to happen. If two people play that have never played before, it's going to seem very random because there's no one to kind of explain what the strategy is in the game. And then you, so you only see the randomness in it. And then the other thing that will happen is if one person is really experienced and they don't really share the strategy, then they're going to run away with the game and you're going to think it's as horribly random against you. <laughs> uh, unless, you unless you're willing to sit through multiple plays. Because you and I played this on Yukata maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. Three weeks ago. And, and did I slaughter you? Oh. I know. I just... So... You know, I, I just had this awful rash of bad luck. There was one time where I had almost all the same color and I could not put any of that color anywhere on the board. And you have to discard up to four of your little mm-hmm. uh, color exactly. guys. And I, I did that, I believe, three times in the game. It just... The color draws for me were horrible on there. Not that I would have done better otherwise. Or but. did I manipulate it to that? So here's the thing. is There is a, there is more so than... And this is why I would rate it as... You know, as much as I enjoy, like, Dragonheart and, and Kahuna yeah. and stuff, mm-hmm. like, I do actually rate Balloon Cup higher than all of those because there is a lot, lot, lot more control over the randomness, really. Uh, you, you, it's basically a, a game, you know, and that was the, the, the person who I was playing against really, his complaint was that, you know, I need to play faster and not, not add up the numbers and such, but that's counter to the point of this particular game, right? It's not, it's not like trying to think of a, a good comparison game where, you know, you're just, you know, even like battle line or something, right? Where you're just kind of playing cards and you're not, you're, you're loosely paying attention, but it's really quick. I mean, the, the, the kind of the, the point of this game is to manipulate the cubes and the cards and, uh, and, and the, and the playing area in front of you. So what it is, is there's basically four tiles and you're playing, you either need the highest total or the lowest total on each one. And they flip and it changes as, as you win. And from left... it's either a mountain or a valley. Right. And, and so from left to right, one will have one cube, the next has two cubes, three cubes, and four cubes. And what it is then is you have these cards that match the colors of the cubes. You know, there's five different colors. And you play, the cards are 1 through 13. You can play it either on your side or your opponent's side in the corresponding quantity. So the easiest way to explain it is if the first card, which has one single blue cube on it, let's say, then you can play a single blue card on your side and a single blue card on your opponent's side. But it doesn't matter which player plays it. So you don't have to play on your side, and I don't have to play on mine. And in fact, I can play both cards. We play one card each turn. And so you could be fighting over one, and I could be fighting over another. So in a way, it is like a battle line or even like a Blood Bowl team manager, but you know where there's these things in the center that you're kind of playing cards, uh, you know, or Lost Cities for that matter, right? And you're fighting over. But the way in which this one works... And even the win condition is, is really interesting because you basically just need a certain quantity and it varies by color. It's seven in red and only three in gray. Uh, but once you earn three of the five colors, then you win. And so there's really not exactly a point total or anything like that going on. It's just you win three of the five uh, balloons. And you do that by having a majority of uh the cubes that equal, right. you know, equal that total. And then there's other little nuances and such about what happens if you almost won, then, you know, three of those turn into wilds and there's some other stuff that goes on. But basically what's neat about the game is that you really want to hold certain cards 
and be careful where you play them. So too often, people kind of just play the cards carelessly and, and without thought, and that's what basically turns it into a random game. And the idea is, uh, especially say with a 13, I mean, a 13 is golden, a 1 is golden, a, even a 2, right, or a 12. And you want to make sure that you play that when it absolutely does the most good. And the other thing that you want to do is all the cards in the middle are, are worthless. And that's probably the best thing that you could tell somebody about playing the game is. So any, anything that's, um, uh, you know, like a, a 6 or a 7, you know, type of thing, those you want to just throw away. And there's multiple ways to throw them away. Sometimes you can throw it away and lose, and then you get another turn. So you can actually take two turns in a row that way. Okay. But you've pitched a card that's basically worthless, because there's no point to these middle cards. You want highs and lows for everything. And so it always seems like I'm getting more highs and lows than other people. But I'm really, it's because I'm manipulating. Because you are. <laughs> the card. Well, then <laughs> I have over 25 games, right? But... It's really just in how you pitch the the numbers, right? And what I'm doing is I'm I'm playing I'm always playing those when it matters. So it's like, oh wow, really? You had that now? Because I didn't waste it somewhere else, uh, somewhere else where you calculate and you go, okay, maybe the nine then. So you know, again, you're pitching the ones in the middle, then the ones above and below that, like the nines and the the fives and such. Those are then the ones that you're playing to kind of like buy time because you don't know where it's important to play yet. Uh, you're also trying to kind of keep one of each color as much as you can so you don't get stuck with a lot of one color because uh, that's what locks you out and starts oh, yeah. to get you into situations like you were in where you can't even play and then you have to discard and stuff or you're, maybe you have to play yep. your best card on your opponent's side because it's the only valid play you can do. I mean, those are they're usually situations you've actually dug yourself into. Like, So we really like to, if I were to go back through the game, I could probably find a point where you know, you should have played something else to, like, not have that happen. Because I can pull that up right on Yucatan. I can see where you had the four yellows, two reds, a blue, and a gray. And then you played your blue, and you played your gray, and you, play, you know, and so it's just something you have to be, like, aware of, is, like, you can dig yourself into that corner. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's still some randomness to it, but more so, again, than any of the other games, I've won this one just way, way, way more times. I've I think it's even one of the games I'm ranked the highest, probably the highest in. I haven't even played that many games since uh, they started that system. So, uh, but you know, needless to say, I really enjoy it. So uh, it's, it's a little a bit game. it's a little bit hard to find. Some of the prices of it are uh, you know a little high depending on where you find it. But like so. I was really surprised that I mean this game I think I published in the early 2000s, so it's been about maybe nine ten years. And I don't think it's been reprinted, has it? No. And I read somewhere that it wasn't going to be. Uh, there was talk of maybe retheming it at one point, but I, I don't know what the reason was. But as last I heard, it wasn't going to be. Yeah, so my, my win-loss ratio on this is somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 70% wins. Wow. Yeah, and, and again, pro some of my losses may have been earlier on. But I do do well at this one. So again, I think that's uh, proof that there is strategy in the game. Okay. I did get another play of Santiago de Cuba in, the physical copy, and uh, was very pleased with that again. So that's another one of have kind of been spending a little bit more time with uh, existing games that I've enjoyed. Santiago de Cuba was one I had rated real highly quite a few episodes back. 
Manhattan Project, uh, Lords of Waterdeep. So all of these games have kind of just been playing more of Zulerato Dice and such, and the ones we enjoy. And and I think now I've kind of gotten to the point with with a lot of those where, um, you know, now we're gonna pull some other stuff out off the shelf that we haven't played in a while, and you know, I've also got some some other newer games uh, coming and such. So, but yeah, we've just been uh, been playing a little bit more of the same, the ones we enjoy and such. So, excellent. That's all I've got. All right. things I wanted to talk about, or actually one thing I wanted to talk about was I'd been looking at getting gaming chips uh, to use with my games. Uh, did you ever go down this road, uh, Jeff? I did, and, I, and I'm, I've got the ones that nobody can get. <laughs> okay. The little miniature ones that, uh, with the numbers on them that uh, had been done by uh, Meeple people. I don't think I'm uh, very familiar with those. They kind of disappeared out of the scene somewhat. They were more active before, but um, they're miniature chips, and uh, they weren't done to standard colors, which was the big you know, controversy, and people got mad and stuff. But it was a pretty affordable set. I had custom ordered it in the quantities that I wanted, uh, so I have full rows of, of uh, even like 500s and 100s and stuff, but... Yeah, I, I just I I don't care for the full size chips as much because I, they're just you know clunkier to handle. Yeah, and the case is a lot larger to carry around and stuff. So this little miniature case just that fits really nice into like the front pocket of any bag and that kind of thing. So or even in a game box, right? I can just slip it into a game box um, for whatever game it is and, and bring this along. So I'm. And then I'd ordered a, a set of blank ones too, just to use as markers in certain games too. Uh, sometimes it's good for point totals, or um, you know, if even if there's two types of of money in a game or something like that. So um, I end up using those a little less often. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have nothing good to recommend because those aren't available. Uh, there was a a nice set that was being kickstarted for a while. I think those were full size uh, and pricier, uh, but I would have probably gone for those had I not had this other set. Okay. Um, but because, I'm sure I'm sure somebody's going to solve this problem again because now the board games are getting even more popular and stuff. This this is coming up again and again. In fact, really, I think the Kickstarter was a bit of a fail because I think they actually overdid it, and we don't. Most gamers aren't looking for that extravagant of a quality and price. What, what most gamers probably want is the smaller chips, more basic, just with numbers and cheap, right? So that everybody can buy a set, and you know. A, here, free Kickstarter idea, right? I, I guarantee if uh, those that same company that had done it before went and launched that on Kickstarter, I, I can only imagine. They'd probably, yeah, I mean, what, 50000 easily, if not 100 Yeah. That's my idea anyway. I don't don't have the resources to do it but some somebody do it for the for the sake of board gamers so that i don't i don't feel bad i feel bad when i when i bring this anywhere you know because people are like oh that's so cool where did you get that can i, I want to get one of those and, yeah sorry you can't <laughs> you can't be special like me so yeah i went with the uh the full-blown route 
just got the regular size chips. And it's something that I'd been looking into probably for at least the last six months, reading a lot of BGG posts over and over and over and over. Every every time, you know, I had the uh, burning desire to get the chips, I'd reread all the same posts. And then there's a, a poker chip site. Chip, uh, was it Chipnet? I believe, or something like that. Something with the word chip. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much discussion on there. And that's some hardcore poker players. And, I mean, it just... It's it's so interesting, like how their hobby sort of mirrors ours in some ways, because you know they set up the actual rooms and the tables, <laughs> kind of like, you know exactly like us. Sure. But uh, yeah, I wound up going with the Pro Gen eighty uh, chips, which are uh, ten gram chips and ten grand uh, chips. Oh my gram. God. I know. It's just... <laughs> I, I guess uh, they could be ten grand. Yeah, I was gonna say some of those get pretty pricey too, though. But uh, I, I got a case for them, and what's interesting about these chips, and there, there's some discussion about this, is that they are uh, like an imitation clay, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're pressed, so when they're made from the substance, uh, they don't quite have the uniformity as, let's say, a you know, uh, a plastic grade. molded oh, chip okay. might have. I see. So there is a little bit of variance. So when you have, let's say, 50, chi- uh, 50 chips stacked, you know, it will vary slightly from what another were you stack thinking? of chips. You're going to get OCD gamers that will just not be able to deal with well, that. Well, that's not for them then. Like they can't cope. Yeah, these chips are not for you if you are totally OCD about this kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, it's really interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to be playing, playing with those some sometime, and somebody's going to be trying to align all their chips, and be like, I, I know <laughs> what it's going on. They're, yeah, they're going to have like, like it's a, your a turn level. again. They're going to have like a level on top. <laughs> I think this one is like a millimeter off, and it's interesting that they don't fit. Uh, there, there's fitting problems inside the cases. So because they are not, because they're slightly bigger mm-hmm. and there is a little bit of a variation. So if you get a 300 chip case, you won't necessarily fit 300 of these in there. So, but I mean, I, I don't know if you really need much more than that. And there's a lot of discussion about the train games, you know, the 1800 series games and these things and how many chips you should have. Sure. What so, quantities and all that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, using these things, you know, especially in some of those games that have the paper money, like the, uh, oh, what the heck is that game? That uh, All of them. The Russian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and particularly the one with the, the Russian theme. Oh, that card game with the board. What the heck is it called? The Russian-themed card game with the board? Yeah, it's on Yukata. It's got one expansion. Oh, it'll come to me, I'm sure, in a little while when we're Got talking it. about something else. Well, get Lords of Vegas. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah, game, Lords of Vegas. themed oh, perfectly for that. that money. I hate that money so bad, mainly because you have to, like, just handle it all the time. Well, yeah, and, like, and how do you have a casino game that doesn't have casino chips? So that, I know, there right? you go, right? So you've hey, got you the casino what? chips now. I would rather have the money than those cheap plastic chips. <laughs> I guess. Because those little plastic chips are so annoying. They probably figure that any serious gamer's got got 
good chips anyway, so why waste money? Uh, you know, just and, print and, a stack I, of paper nobody is going to use. So Lords of Vegas, I think, had two flubs. Number one, that paper money. And number two, those little plastic tiddlywinks. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm For the markers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, component quality, like, really? Come on. But anyway, we're, we're not talking about that. <laughs> yeah, we're talking okay. about the poker chips. So, so what else? Yeah, I, I wound up getting uh, five different colors, uh, 55 of each, which uh, should give some spares because I guess there's some breakage with some people that get violent with these things. They can drop them or throw them across the room or step on them or whatever, and they kind of uh, break into pieces. But they have an excellent feel to them. Uh, they definitely have some heft. Uh, a big deal from what I was reading was that you know the people that were really sampling the chips, really being anal about what they wanted to get for their final full set, they did like stack tests, and you know they would like stack a couple of them and see if they would like spray out across the room. You know, if you applied any pressure, I mean, some people really went hardcore into this and. Uh, uh, Scott Nicholson had an excellent yeah. show. Yeah, I've seen his show on it. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. It's really dated because I think it's like more than five years old. And yeah, nothing's half really those. Been dated on it. Right. But uh, the ProGen 80s, uh, that was definitely uh, a good purchase. I'm so excited to try it. And uh, who knows? I'll probably throw them in some games. Cool. <laughs> you know, well, I'll play Manhattan Project, and I'll tell my wife, "Hey, we gotta play with these chips." And she's <laughs> like, "These chips don't even fit on the bribe spot." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I said, I, I'm really excited to check them out, and you know, kind of like it, it's kind of like pimping your game. Yep. And uh, well, some of us don't need to pimp our game, but well, that's a whole okay. different story. <laughs> So uh, I wound up getting it from a, a casino supply shop. There's a lot of them out there, various prices, various shipping policies. So just because it's the cheapest chip out there from a store doesn't mean it's going to be the cheapest shipped. Because uh, the whole kit was about 10 bucks. I mean, 10 pounds. 10 pounds. I mean, that's that's crazy weight. Wow. So uh, that's about it for the for the gaming chips. Another thing that uh, I wanted to kind of touch on and at least get your take on this, Jeff, is uh, a hot thing in the past year, maybe year and a half, has been digital ports of video games. Uh, not video games, board games. <laughs> wrong show. <sorry. laughs> wrong show again. Yeah, wrong show. Mm-hmm. Uh, just digital ports, you know, whether it's iPad, PC, Android, or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say more iPad and iOS, but... Definitely a lot more. And I'm... From the get-go, I've been having very mixed feelings about this. From a couple of different angles. Number one, you know, you look at it like something like, let's say, uh, Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride is available, of course, in board game. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, the full-on version. You can find it on uh, the iPads, and I think it also plays on the phones, doesn't it, as well? Or yeah, they it... have a phone version, and you can okay. play it on the PC, and yeah. probably a, probably a, a Mac, too. I, I don't, yeah, I there's don't a, exactly know. There's a PC version that just recently moved to Steam, and I actually picked that up. They had a, a sale for it. It was like 10 bucks, And uh, I was feeling lonely and depressed and whatever at one time. And So you were saying you was, have a concern. What's your concern, though? It was like 2 in the morning, and so I bought it. Anyway, like an infomercial. So these games, you know, whatever it might be, are, are definitely fun to some extent in the physical board game copy. When you bring it into a digital form, several things happen. Number one, of course, it's now available to a lot more people. You know, the masses can play these games. And when Ticket to Ride came out, I remember reading over and over about how that actually increased sales of, you know, the physical game. And, you know, people have been enjoying it because it's a fairly good, I'll call it a port, a port of of the real deal. Uh, you know, while that does happen, I've found that the online versions can really destroy the playability of a game. Why is that? And what I mean by that is that... I think it depends on the game. Yeah. Like, uh, for example... You mean the playability of the physical copy or the or playability in general? Period. Just period. I mean, even games on like Yukata, where you wind up playing so much of it, and in some cases, you know, especially if it's you know play by mail or play by turn, it's it's not a I'll call it a cohesive gaming experience. It's not a you don't have the continuity of a regular game, and if you're doing find asynchronous plays out. or something, well, yeah. play with play live opponents. Say Ticket to Ride will do that, right? So you're playing a live game. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's still not the same thing, you know. Where there there's, you know, this is coming from a board gamer though, you know, as opposed to a casual gamer or a video gamer or whatnot, where there's something to be said about like ticket to ride about placing the trains about holding the cards about seeing the board yeah, well there's the, the tactile element there's the social element missing i mean people usually there's don't a pass a single comment uh yeah i'm, I'm still shocked on yukata when somebody says something and oh yeah like good luck <laughs> it's like <laughs> no i think it was actually like uh i i played a role through the ages because i you know i was i was talking on the last show about how uh how that was one of the one games uh, that I kind of got ruined on because <laughs> of the exploits, as I called it. And I figured, I, I, to be fair, I have to start playing that again now if I'm going to say something negative, right? Um, so, so I actually went back and I played it, relearned the rules because I'd forgotten. And, and uh, yeah, it was fun. And, and thankfully, they didn't play that way. So I still lost, of course, as I should. Uh, but, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, game that really proves the point better than any other would be I went and tried uh, the online version of Command and Colors, the uh, Memoir 44. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I went and tried the online version of Memoir 44. Right. And, you know, you don't have the little miniatures. You don't have the little 
uh, you know, cards and uh, that game, you lose a lot to try to play it on. I don't care how nice a job they do, which, you know, really wasn't quite that nice of a job to begin with. Because all they can do is just throw in animations, maybe some sounds. Yeah, but I mean, it's a pretty basic version um, when they launch it on the PC. So I had no interest in it whatsoever. You know, that that kind of tells you where the appeal of certain games is, too, when you realize that, you know, Fantasy Flight, with a lot of their titles, um, I mean, again, I don't know. I, I guess the idea of having, like, Twilight Imperium on the iPad would be really cool, and I don't know if I really have to have the miniatures and all the cards. But you know, the difference is... Really, like you said, though, is if you're playing the game a lot, well, then that's still often proof of a good game. If that if that sours you on playing the board game, I think that's only a problem if you get to the point where you don't even want to own the board game, and where you just go, okay, I don't, I'm just going to sell my ticket to ride because I can play it online every now and again, and I'm too burned out to ever want to play the physical version anymore, so I'm just going to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like Ascension. On the iOS. I mean, you can probably finish the game, what, in about five minutes? But see, that's the ones where I'm going to disagree with your original point and say that I do enjoy Ascension far more on the iPad because I can play quicker, I can play in bed, I don't have to shuffle the cards, which gets tedious after a while. You know, I don't have to worry about how well my opponent did or didn't shuffle his cards. For instance, so I was talking about you know that awful play that you get in some of the games with with cards or enemies. Well, I had that in Dragon Dragonheart too, and this was an online play. And okay. there's the uh, the sorceress which kills the dragon and gives you that sixth card. Right. Would you believe that four of my sorceresses were the last four cards in my deck? Right. If if that had happened in any physical game, you you it would have broke out in a brawl or, or how. It was, someone didn't shuffle correctly yeah <laughs> right cry babies but but yet in this online game you know with the computer shuffle it it happens you know over enough games stuff like that happens and when you're down a card the entire game yeah if you know i ended that game going yeah okay that every now and again you get a game like that is probably was going to be really tough especially with equally skilled people for me to ever have done that well in that game and i did get pretty well slaughtered in it so See, it's interesting that you bring up the shuffling because I actually had this discussion uh, a couple weeks back with someone where, you know, they were commenting on my shuffling ability and how the cards didn't shuffle to their like, weren't <laughs> shuffled to their liking. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the and, best but, at it. I was but, a board war gamer when I was younger, so I never really spent a lot of time with card games and such. So, see, the the thing that people forget though is that, I mean, yes, there can be bad shufflers. You know, where you just don't shuffle it enough times or you don't do it properly enough. But it is entirely possible to shuffle an entire deck and have a group of cards. Yeah, which, I, like so, I said, you have the computer shufflers and it still happens. Oh, ab- absolutely. This, I mean, uh, a prime example is uh, my wife always makes comments on Ascension and my shuffling. And granted, you know, those are kind of awkward to shuffle because yeah, there's, there's so, so many, many times. So many cards. It's yeah. just uh, such a big stack. But the thing is, you know, when you're dealing out the cards on the on the board, there's what uh, six cards, I believe, that are on the board. You yeah, know, you don't you don't get any uh, creatures or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, that, it, that happens know, all the time in the app, though. So exactly, and I mean, I've had it happen the other way where you get you know four or five even. 
Yeah, and I mean, then, then no more. So, right, you know, a perfect shuffle doesn't mean that you're going to get like alternating, like hero monster, hero monster, hero monster. Yeah. It's 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 random essentially. Anyway, getting back to what we were talking about here, you know, I, I'm just starting to wonder if ultimately that uh, you know having all of these ports might actually hurt the hobby in some ways or at least hurt individual titles that are actually good titles and they might have a poor implementation of a game yeah they might have um i think i think that was my worry too but i i don't feel that way anymore okay because I, I think just the the especially with ios the amount of exposure that that gains a game you know people there's a lot of people that love the idea of a board game that'll never play it but that may well buy it. That'll order it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that go. Oh, uh, take it to ride. There's a board game version. Great. I'll, you know, they order it and it sits in sh- shrink wrap or, you know, whatever the case might be. But they still bought it. You know, or, or they, they or they do like it and then they buy six other games and you know never really get to it. But um, well, or let me ask you this. Okay, so you have a game that let's say hits the streets uh, in its first printing let's say, you know, on January 1st in the year, when should they come out, if at all, when should they come out with a digital version of that? Should it be immediately? Should it be shortly after? Well, no, I I mean, I would say it's Ascension's probably paved it about right where the physical copy should come out ahead of the digital one so that fans of the game... Uh, you know, Ascension's a perfect example. It's probably the only example of where I have a digital and a physical copy, but very much so play the digital one. Uh, you know, but as expansions come out, you know, I'm still tempted and or do buy the physical copy and wait for the iOS version to come around. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm not exactly get as much as many games as I get rid of. I'm not exactly getting rid of those either. So right. I like them. I'm, I'm still going to hang on to it. So. Uh, I don't think they should come out at the same time because the fact that the uh, iOS games and such tend to be so much cheaper, then it becomes too too much of a of a free trial and and I think you do want you know even though that's kind of the evil part of the hobby, but you want a certain number of people that buy blind, right? And you know that uh, although then again you could argue I don't know maybe there's the amount of money made per title is about the same anyway. By the time you get distribution and everybody else that's taking their little cut, how much are they making per board game anyway versus, you know, their app. So now one game that really sticks out to me as something that really broke the trend of a lot of this stuff was Hawaii. Now that game came out a couple months back, actually about maybe six months ago. Yeah. It came out six months ago, and there was an online version that came out almost immediately well, after. Well, Yucata. So see, I well, don't... it wasn't on Yucata. It was on Board Game Arena. Oh, true. Okay, good point. Uh, Do you think that that might have hurt the game at all, or did it help, or did it not affect, or did it help? If anything, it probably helped because that wasn't a very highly promoted title, right? So that's another thing that differs. I think it helped it get some exposure where it may not have had it before. Uh, you know, and it's also not the same quite as an iOS app because, you know, there's no AI. A lot of people don't 
you know, like playing online uh, asynchronously or they don't like playing live. And so if you have a version that only does one type of opponent, there's going to be a large number of people that it doesn't work for, where a good iOS implementation is going to support all of those modes, right? Solo against an AI, asynchronous, live, whatever the case might be, right? Pass and play. Right. Um, so then, then it kind of works for anyone who wants to play it. So yeah, I mean that's really what I more I was talking about because you know that is a better full replacement for the board game then because of all the different play me- methods. But if you're going to just have one version, I had thought it was going to affect me more than it than it turned out to. And again, if anything, I've probably bought more things because of uh, other, you know online adaptations that I've tried early. You know, Zuloretto Dice, for example, right? Right, stuff that I wouldn't even have clicked on the banner ad for, uh, you know, before. I don't even know why I launched the game in the first place, right? I just had no interest in the title, um, you know, games like that. So, uh, yeah, I yeah. Think it, for every person that uh, you know sits on Yucata day and night playing 50 games for free and don't own a single title, there's you know five others that are, are buying every last one of them yeah. and, and maybe never even playing them. And, uh, you know, I think those people that, let's say, do the Yucata thing, I mean, they're missing out. It's, I think, their loss in some respects. Yeah. So, I don't know. I You know, I think I go back to what, t- what you know, Ticket to Ride did, where it increased sales dramatically. I, there, there has to be something to that, right, behind it. If, you know, if you got the in-game advertising and people look up uh, you know, like, let's look at my wife, right? The whole reason she got into the hobby, uh, you know, joined me in the hobby was because of the Ticket to Ride game on the Xbox Live. And the fact that she played that and, and you know, then I told her, hey, you know, there is a board game version of it. And she scoffed at that, but I ordered it anyway. and Sold. Right? And, you know, so that's... If it causes people to Google board games or whatever it is they do then every one of those has the potential to bring you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of new gamers into the hobby. So I, I, I can't see it really being bad for the hobby. And, and I think if you look at like BSW, which you, know, you look, just look at, in general, a lot of those sites, games get launched on that. I'm sure they have stats, and that's the reason why more games get put on Yucatan and BSW in the first place is because they see an increase in sales or they see some kind of difference. Uh, or else they wouldn't do it. So I kind of trust in trust in the publishers. Uh, you know, they they don't license these things for no reason. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, the majority of the games that I enjoy on Yucata, I have a physical copy. As and, do I. And, yeah. And and play them. Yeah, and a number of them I bought after playing on Yucata. Right. Just because you know I want to have it available so I can play it and enjoy it with people like when they come over you know i don't want to be stuck having to play it just online i want to enjoy it and you know exactly. in person do you think that having an ios title that comes out let's say two three years after the game and after some of the buzz has died down for the game do you think that that can actually help the game at all absolutely and that's the whole point with an expansion too, right? I mean, you, you turn out an expansion to revitalize interest in, uh, you know, people order the base game that never did and mm-hmm. buy the base game with the expansion because now you've hyped up the game again. 
and that's what keeps it going. I mean, that's very much he's maybe even a promo, anything, right? You just keep churning out something. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely think that releasing a iOS version will re- revitalize interest, and, and maybe it is better to wait a little bit of time and hopefully do it right. You know, maybe spend that time right. making it right. Or on the flip side, do you think that it could just be like wasted effort? Well, some of it will come down to the game, the game, right? I mean, if you do an iOS title for a game that kind of flopped, well, <laughs> Miskatonic Girls, right? I mean, you know, that's that wasn't all that well received, but they're doing an iOS game, so that'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, does does maybe it plays better online, and you know, people love it and it revitalizes purchases of the board game or maybe it doesn't have to maybe they make enough money off the app that it's really irrelevant that they didn't you know have as as good a reception of the physical copy um if they did their cost right then they they still at least broke even might be harder for them to do a second game if opinions don't improve after the ios game but again if they'd already started down that path why not finish it right i mean they they've already got the effort some cost sunk into it so you know, I don't. I don't think any designer really ever wants to admit that their game was a failure. Oh, so, right. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I would be any different. You know, so. Oh, absolutely. You know, the one thing that an iOS version also allots for is continued improvement, right? You can't always do that in a board game. So if the game did need some tweaking, they could probably do that through the iOS version, change up the rules, and improve the text on cards, add some expansions. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not familiar enough with that game. I haven't actually played it myself. But maybe some of what some people didn't like is fixable in an iOS implementation. So in that way, it could be a very, very good thing for some games to uh, to have. And then if it takes off enough, maybe that does warrant a 2.0 version that then incorporates that. And, and you have that as a gauge of saying, okay, the app's doing really well. We have this many people playing online games. And, you know, of course, we'll go kickstart it again. And, and you know, now we've revitalized, you know, salvaged this game in a second release. That's enough about that. Uh, we'll move on and uh, once again tell you about our contest. What we have to give away are two copies of Zularetto uh, Werfelspiel. That's Zularetto the Dice Game. It is a German import copy uh, with uh, instructions available, I believe, on uh, Board Game Geek and also on Yucata. It's a, a fairly simple game to learn, so it, it's not too bad. But uh, to enter the contest, uh, there's a couple of things that have to happen. Number one, you must be a member of the this Board Game Life Guild on BGG. Uh, you can check out our website's contact us page for the link to that if uh, you can't find it on BGG. We will have two drawings, not just one, but two. Uh, to enter both drawings, both drawings one and two, leave us a voicemail at our contact number of 754-444-8245 or send us an MP3 recording of yourself asking you know a question about the show making comments you know telling us uh anything uh that you feel like you know just something with your voice because we would definitely love to hear from you uh for a single entry 
into the drawing, send us an email at contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Again, that's contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Some ideas in case you need them on what to send in. Comments on our show. Posing views on anything uh, that we've rendered our opinion on. Actually, it doesn't even have to be an opposing view. Hopefully, uh, you know, you're right there with us, uh, you know, agreeing with what we're saying. You know, we'd love to hear your comments or in your thoughts. Uh, thoughts on a game you've recently played. You know, hey, you know, we tell you about all the games we've been playing. You know, we want to hear about something uh, that you've been playing, too. Or uh, your brief board game related rant. So that's just a couple of re- uh, ideas on what you can uh, send in. And, uh, you know, feel free to uh, send something else, too, if you want. game lust section a couple games i've been looking at wanting uh, and or have uh, up for pre-order so first one that caught my eye uh, actually both of these are kickstarter titles uh, the first one's tooth and nail factions which is by a small little company called small box games and uh, these are the ones uh, the guys that did uh, omen reign of war most notably and uh, this is a little customizable card game. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, this kind of, even the art sort of reminded me a bit of like Summer Wars and the sort of customizable card game part of it. Right. And it's, you know, there's six different factions, each with their own unique deck. There's a, a two-player game, and I, and I guess there's a four-player version where there's a enemy of my enemy rules and such. So nice thing again about this game is they've, as actually, I got the email as we were doing the show. They've released a light version that, if you back it, you can download and try the light version. Now, again, I think I'm more of a fan of where you don't have to actually back it to do that. That seems kind of hokey, but uh, remember that Kickstarter does let you quit <laughs> your your backing. It's one of the things I really like about it. So, so there's really no reason not to back it and try. And I wonder if publishers don't realize this too. Because they, they made a point to say, please don't share this with anybody that hasn't, you know, that isn't a backer. Whoops. What's the point of that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, because anybody can just back it, download the files, try it, and then just unback it if you didn't care for the game. So, I don't really see what difference that makes. But, you know, hey, in any case, uh, if you want to try it, you can try it. I'll try, I'm definitely going to obviously try it, and I'll share my uh, feedback on it. Uh, it is just a portion of the game, so it's supposed to give the flavor of what's involved, but obviously not all the cards are included, not all the factions and such. Uh, so that was one game. And then the other game that I noticed uh, on Kickstarter was Sedition Wars, Battle for Alabaster. And uh, this is another one that Cool Mini or Not is kind of helping with. They were the ones that did Zombie Side, 
you know, so, well, you know, again, they're more like the, the publisher, the one running the Kickstarter campaign, but it's actually a guy, Mike McVeigh, that's behind it. Uh, it's kind of an amaz- amazing miniature painter and kind of big in the minis world. So this is just uh, a tactical minis game for two players, survival horror type of thing. There's some what they refer to as innovative one-role resolution system and reactive gameplay. And it actually, to be fully fair, does look pretty cool and pretty interesting from a board game perspective for for guys that maybe don't have as much experience doing board games as they do miniatures. Obviously, the miniatures look really cool. So um, I'm actually more excited to back this one than I was even Zombie Side. And uh, it's another one where it's about a hundred bucks if you want to get everything with all the bonus miniatures and and so on. So, so, so not the cheapest title, but a lot of stuff packed into that box. And uh, one that I've been kind of excited about for a while now, and uh, it just went up on pre-order the other day, was Twilight Struggle, the PC version. So that is coming out on PC. There is going to be uh, local play. Uh, there's an AI that I guess uh, they've been working on for a little bit of time now. It's supposed to be uh, pretty challenging. And there's going to be internet play as well. This game is only going to be available from GMT. Again, uh, the pre-order is available now. You can pre-order it and save yourself some cash. What is the pre-order price? $30. Oh, wow. I will have to do that then. I yeah. See, I was going to say, if it was much more than that, I don't. I don't know that I have... I mean, I really like the game, but... Uh, like I haven't even gotten around to buying Conflict of Heroes, and that was a game I had mentioned a lot of, you know, the PC version. But but partly I think the problem I have there is that one wasn't a faithful adaptation. Okay. You know, at first there was like there's this one main part that's changed, but then as you read through it, there's quite a bit of other stuff that's kind of different too, like even the line of sight rules, and uh, you know that that's where it's that's where it's almost like one or the other, right? Because if I, I want to, I don't want to play by a different rule set when I play the online game than I do when I play the physical right. game. That's too hard to keep track of in my mind with all the other games that are already swimming around. So Twilight Struggle, I'm sure, being done by GMT is is going to be nothing but faithful. So that that maybe does interest me more than, although I wish it was iOS myself, because <laughs> uh, I don't do much with yeah. PC gaming. You know, well, um, not until this game comes out. Well, for 30 bucks, I'll get it, absolutely. Yeah, I believe that's... Because I think the full-on price eventually is going to be around 50 yeah. So you save twenty bucks by pre-order. Is, is it a digital download, or are they shipping me a CD? It will be digital download. Okay. Well, even better. So there's no shipping costs then tacked on. Exactly. No shipping costs, and because usually shipping with them can be like even fourteen, fifteen bucks. And, and I'm that, used to free shipping, so that it kind of bumps up their cost a bit. And most of the games are pretty heavy, so. Well, that's that's true. I can true. definitely see that because. You know, all of well, their games that I've got, I mean, they have some heft to them. Just to say that the pre-order price isn't as good of a deal once you factor that in if you're used to free shipping. Exactly. It's, it's more just getting it early and helping them out because you're giving them more cash. And then since I like GMT, I typically do that. I pre-order the ones that I'm certain I want, and then occasionally, you know, one will come by that I, I kind of didn't notice. And, uh, you know, of course, I'll buy it at the discount. But um, but I've got three, I've got like three titles, uh, at least, if not four up for a pre-order with them already. And, I mean, the shipping thing with them, that kind of stings a little bit, especially if you order a couple of games, because I don't believe that they, like, bundle the shipping. No, no, they'll ship them as they print them. Yeah, they ship them as they print them, and, you know, it might be 12 bucks 
per game to ship. Yeah, I mean, really, what we got to do so, is just start going in on games. <laughs> you know, I know, I know, like so many different gamers, and we all buy the same stuff, and nobody ever wants to combine. I don't know. I think we all like the the box showing up on our doorstep and and tearing it yeah. open and pulling out that shiny shrink wrapped game. That so. shit smell. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm not going to open your game, right? But. <laughs> But I have to open the box. It's just this thing. Everybody, uh, so. you know, I was I was thinking about that. How some people are so anal about like newspapers. Yeah. You know, like the the dad in the house is like, you know, it's my paper. I read it first. You know, I feel like <laughs> if somebody opens my game before me, I feel like it's you know. And I punched all like the pieces. Sacrilege. Oh, no, no, no. no. I have I have a certain <laughs> way I punch the pieces. I don't know. Exactly. You punch the pieces out and they all tore. <laughs> That's it for uh, Game Lust for me this week. Yeah, I think that wraps up the show, too. That it does. So that concludes episode number 13. Make sure to check out our website, thisboardgamelife.com, and also our email address, which is uh, contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Please send us uh, any questions, comments, concerns, etc., and also your contest entry to that address. Yeah, you can also call our voicemail at 754-444-TBGL. That's 754-444-8245. And uh, again, don't forget to join our BGG Guild, and there's a link up on our website for that. Or you can search for it. Yes. Find it on your own. Absolutely. Because so, you can. Thanks for listening. All right. I'm Rob. I'll catch you all later. Be sure to check out our next show, where I'll review Infiltration, Tooth and Nail Factions, and more. And uh, we'll also share some listener feedback. So uh, until next time, this is Jeff. Thanks for listening.